Amen. You may be seated. Folks, this morning it's going to be a little bit different and maybe even a lot different. I don't know. Um, we have a few things to make you aware of. First of all, we will not be receiving a normal offering in the sense that we'll be passing it. At the end of the service, if you have offering, there will be a couple of gentlemen at the back door. You can just drop them in as you exit the building. This morning, whenever we leave, I'm going to ask you to kind of like a funeral service, except this is not a funeral service. Amen. We're going to ask you to exit kind of so everybody doesn't hit the foyer at one time. Does that make sense? So the back pews kind of go first. Tomorrow night, we are going to have a resuming of our Monday night prayer service. It starts at 630, and uh, we encourage you to be a part of that. We're going to do social distancing, and uh, but I believe we can come together and pray. How many of you would join me in believing this, that if there was ever a moment in the nation's history, this nation needs some prayer, folks? Amen? 2020 is going to go down as one of the most unusual years in United States history. I mean, seriously, we've got so much craziness out there that we've got to deal with. But I believe this. I believe Jesus is still on the throne. Hallelujah. And I believe he has the answer to all of this. Amen? So that's tomorrow night. I just want to welcome all of you here this morning. I'm going to let Jared go ahead and sit down. Thank you, Jared. I want to, I want to welcome you, and I want to give some thanks where I think thanks is due. Uh, folks, we have had a team that have diligently patiently, uh, faithfully work behind the scenes to keep us connected as a body for all of these weeks that we've been apart. And uh, I just want to thank our worship team that have been part of this, for Jared and Dan and Adana and Corey and Clinton, the worship team. Have I got them all? Thank you. Yeah. Cody has been working behind the scenes with our tech. And uh, I know he's had help with Dan and Jared that have helped him a lot. But, uh, folks, it has taken a lot of hours to keep this uh, ministry going online. And so I just want you all to give them a thank you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Welcome back. Yeah. Folks, I will tell you whenever... I got to my position up here and that worship music was going. I realized how bad I missed this. Man. Well, today the church doors are kind of finally swinging open. Uh, you know, the thing is, our doors were really never, the church doors were really never closed. Amen. The doors on this building may have been, but the church doors were really never closed. We're, we're seeing people this morning that we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, and we are here to literally declare the, that, that God is bigger than any virus. He's bigger than anything. Amen. So we come together this morning and we affirm that bond of love that connects us as the body of Christ, that bond of love that, that we are committed to one another, and, and that bond makes us in, in, inseparable. I mean, you think about it, folks. I have missed you. Well, there's a couple of you that it hasn't. I'm, I'm joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> I have missed this body of believers, and so I, I just know that that bond of love literally makes us inseparable. Amen? We love you. We're glad to see you this morning. 
Uh, it's, it's really great to see you. And this morning I come in here and I'm so at ease because I know if something physically would happen to me while I'm preaching this morning, we've got doctors and, and we've, got, we've got surgeons in the room with us. And so I didn't think that was going to go over that well, but anyway. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. We're going to jump into the Word. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity. Indeed, this is a great opportunity to be back together again, Lord. We pray over this Word, Father, that the power of the Spirit of God would be upon it. Lord, that it would get into us, that it would change us, Lord God, so that we might change the world that's around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, you know, the title of this message is We're Together Again, and uh, I think it's a befitting uh, title since that's exactly what we are. We are together again. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18, this is what it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? It's not good for man to be alone. So we know in the context of this that God was fixing to make Adam a helpmate, amen? And so he made Eve. But folks, you have to understand the first part of that verse, it's not good for man to be alone. That's the negative part of it. So in the positive of it, we could probably say this, it is good for man to be together, amen? And so that's where we're that's that's where we're at this morning. I got to tell you this: God has designed us to be together. There's something woven into our DNA that just it is something innate within the human being that we are designed to be together. We're hardwired to be social creatures. It's like I said, I have missed this. I mean, my wife and I have been at home together, and we're happily married 40 years, but I've missed all of the folks that I generally rub shoulders with uh, on, on a regular basis. I'm hardwired to be a social creature. Um, that's why this whole COVID-19 thing has been so incredibly difficult for not just us as a congregation, but for the whole world, it's been difficult. I mean, if you think about what the statistical data that's coming out right now is they're saying, as this pandemic has really struck the whole global picture, depression is on the rise. Anxiety is off of the charts. And suicides are on the rise. Sadly to say, all of these things are happening. But I believe that a primary factor in this is because of our separation from one another. We need each other. We need the social uh, interaction with one another. So we've been apart for, what, nearly three months, a whole quarter of a year. But as of today, we are together again. And so as time goes on, because we're not back to normal just yet, this is the normal right now, but as time goes on, we are going to, little by little, get back to what we were like before we had this virus affect us. We're going to start having, I'm thinking right now, because I'm hungry, we're going to start having fellowships, men's breakfasts, man. I want some of that gravy bad. And bacon. Bacon makes everything better. I mean, seriously. You could put bacon on cardboard and it would be better. I'm thinking prime timers is going to be back in force. Thinking that our children's ministries are going to be up and running. 
and our kids are going to have a safe place to go to and learn about Jesus on their level. I'm just thinking there's going to be a lot of things happen in these next few weeks and months as we progress. This morning, I want to talk about something that happened last Sunday, and it is probably familiar to all of us. It's Pentecost Sunday. It was celebrated last week. Pentecost Sunday is basically the birth of the church. It's whenever the church of Jesus Christ, this New Testament church that you and I are a part of, it's whenever it was birthed. It was birthed in Acts chapter 2, and really and truthfully, it's what Jesus came to earth to do. He came to earth uh, so as to start this church, and the only way he could do it is through his death and resurrection. He came to build his church, to, uh, uh, to establish it on this planet and to build it. In fact, he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, that his church is going to rise regardless. So today, you and I, what we're experiencing here on June the 7th is kind of a rebirth of our own church. I mean, we've been closed down for, for three months, and so we're coming together with this, this new birth, this, if you would, a, a new start, a new beginning. I think we've learned a lot of lessons as a church from this pandemic. I, I believe that we're going to carry a lot of those lessons into this rebirthing process, if you would. Things were different for the first church whenever they got together and uh, the church was birthed in the upper room. Things were really different than they are now. So it's not so much I'm comparing them exactly uh, apples to apples, but you have to figure that in Jerusalem there was no pandemic. There were no... Uh, you know, social distancing uh, in Judea. You know, there wasn't a complete shutdown and businesses weren't open, so on and so forth. Uh, there wasn't any social distancing going on whenever the church uh, was birthed in the upper room. We're, we're, we're learning, if you would, as a body of believers, as leadership of this church, kind of how to navigate where we are right now. Because we're not, we're not just like they were in the New Testament uh, church in Acts 2. We're, we're learning how to reopen we're learning how to have this, this new birth, if you would. And I'm just going to ask you all to be really patient with us. Um, we're trying to be responsible. We're trying to be loving and caring for people. And we're trying to cover all the bases. And uh, this is new territory for all the churches in the United States. So uh, if we make a mistake, you know, just be full of grace. Amen? Okay, Whew, scared me. I was just fixing to leave out that side door because I'm thinking, man, if we don't get grace, we'll never make it through this. So, uh, I mean, we've only got half the pews that we can use, and uh, I, I, you know, we have to separate. But, but even coming back to half the pews and having to put six feet in between us, this is what I say: this is better than nothing. Amen. Amen. So I'm there. Uh, Zechariah 4.10, the Bible says, despise not small beginnings. And that's kind of where we're at. You know, we're not filling up all the pews yet. So in Acts chapter 2, uh, you find them celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was an Old Testament feast that preceded the day of Pentecost by hundreds of years, okay? It was established, it was ongoing, uh, and they were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. But in Jesus' day, 
uh, whenever he was here on the earth, they celebrated uh, the giving of the law as that day 50. The giving of the day, 50 days after they left Egypt, supposedly they were given the law, the Ten Commandments. Moses came off of the hill with these two tablets. Uh, now, it, that's a little bit different than what they celebrated in the Old Testament, okay? And we'll get into that in just a moment. So in Jesus' day, they're celebrating this, this day of Pentecost or this feast of Pentecost is the feast of the giving of the law. So on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, they were celebrating this new life in Jesus because that's what happened. I mean, all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene, his death, his resurrection, and now it's a whole new ball game, if you would. It's brand new. And let me just say this, it is good. Amen? So they're celebrating grace. They're celebrating Jesus in the midst of everybody else celebrating the giving of the law. How many of you all know that the law is death? Scriptures, okay? They're celebrating grace, not the giving of the law. Grace through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So you got two different groups of people. you got, as a whole... Everybody in Jerusalem celebrating the feast of Pentecost, the giving of the law, but you have this little group of people that Jesus affected their lives in an unbelievable way, and they're celebrating grace. So if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That's where I wanted to get to this morning. Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to begin reading in verse number 1. Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Perithians and the Medes and the Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. So this morning, there's several things about this brand new church, this, this brand spanking new church that we need to be careful and do whatever is necessary to make sure that we include it in our beginning. Does that make sense? So here's this brand new church, some elements of this new beginning that we as Trinity Church need to make absolutely positively sure we got what they had. Amen? First thing, 
they were together. They were together. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. They were all together. Whenever the day of Pentecost had fully come, well, what does that mean? We see on the Jewish calendar, the day actually began at sundown the day before. So it began, the day began at sundown, but now you go all the way into the next day and at six o'clock in the morning, uh, that's whenever the clock begins to tick and that's the third hour of the day. So about nine o'clock in the morning, they were all in one, a play, one in a place, all in one accord, all together. So Pentecost basically means 50, 50th. So the day after the day of Passover is 50 days from that day to this day, and they're celebrating the day of Pentecost had fully come. So that day is marked. It's not just the weekly feast, but it's that specific day God brings this miracle to pass. The church was gathered together in the upper room, uh, this was about 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't do anything accidentally. This is all I would love to be able to expand this morning and preach all about all the stuff I'm trying to cover real quickly. But 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, about 10 days after he ascended to heaven, he's left the disciples and all the church alone now for 10 days. Jesus already spent 40 days with them after the resurrection. So whenever the day of Pentecost had fully come, all of this took place. They were gathered together physically. This was a group of people that had come together physically. In the past few weeks, we've gathered together. I have been tuning in as well as you, watching that goofy preacher on the TV. And uh, I mean, it is hard to watch yourself. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's hard. I've been taking notes. I've been sending emails. I've sent a whole bunch of stuff to that pastor said, man, you need to clean up your act. So, so hopefully we're going to get him straightened out. His wife has worked diligently and so has God. So I don't know. I don't know, you know. So we have been together in a sense because... On Facebook, you can open it up, and there's people saying, good morning, good morning, good morning. And I know that, you know, I know that Miss Teresa and Larry are watching because they're saying good morning. And I know that Jose is, man, Jose gave us a two thumbs up on one of them. That was awesome. We got folks that have never used Facebook or YouTube before that are watching online. And we're, we're together, but, but we weren't physically together. You see, I was just sitting on the couch next to my wife. But now we're physically together. Amen. They were physically together, but where were they physically together at? Well, probably in the upper room, the same room that just a few days prior to that, that the Lord's Supper had been served. Pretty big room. We can evaluate that because there was 120 of them. They were together in one place. Not only physically was this group together, but this is really, really important here. They were also spiritually together. The Bible says that they were in one accord. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, he really likes that term. In fact, if you look through the book of Acts, one of the things you're going to see is that 11 times in the book of Acts, he uses this phrase, in one accord. It's a very important phrase because you see what it means is that all of these people were on the same page. 
All of these people had one thing in common, and that was their purpose. Their purpose was the common thing that brought all of them together. They were, they were on the same page, they were in the same purpose, and they were in the same spirit. Amen? Folks, one of the things that I believe is so very imperative in the day and time that we live in is that churches have got to learn how to be unified. If any of you all have ever been through my membership classes, one of the things that I will tell you as a pastor that just really riles me up is whenever a church gets out of unity, whenever people in the body of Christ, because I'm going to tell you something, getting out of unity is a choice by the body of Christ. Amen? Whenever you come and say, I don't like this carpet, and I don't like the person who picked this carpet, I hate this color, that's a choice you're making. Because the color of carpet doesn't make a dime's worth of difference to how many people are getting saved on it. Amen? So I, I just I tell people, I say, man, if you're coming into membership, one thing you're going to need to know is you better be in unity and you better keep unity. And if you start doing things that are, are affecting the unity of this body of believers, I said, I'm going to come after you. And let me just say, I kid around a whole lot, but that's one of the things I don't kid around with. I disciplined a lady in our church one time that was well up into her 80s because she was messing with the unity of our body. And I literally made her cry. I told her, I said, if you do it one more time, I will take you in front of the church and I will discipline you and I will kick you out of the church. She'd been in the church all of her life. Whenever we left, my wife was with me. And whenever we left, she said, I cannot believe how mean you were to her. I said, she needed somebody to be mean to her. Okay. Just because you're well up into your 80s doesn't give you a license to mess with the unity of the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. I, I just need that. I've been preaching over here in this corner for all these weeks, and I didn't get any amens. Only thing I heard is somebody sneezed one time, and the phone rang. That's all the response that I got from the sermons. So here you have a group of people that are unified, on the same page, the same purpose in their life. They're in, they're in harmony, complete harmony. Their hearts were literally aligned. And Trinity Church has to be like that. If we're going to do what God has called us to do, we got to be like that. We've got to be unified. We can't have one faction over here saying, well, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. We have a body of Christ, and we've got to be aligned to say, man, we are going to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to do it in a strong measure. Amen. So one thing that we've learned from this pandemic that we're in the midst of is the church is not a place. How many of you all have learned that? It's not a place. It, it, it is, it's, it's people. That's what the church is. A lot of times we hear this terminology, you know, I'm going to go to church. I'll see you at the church, so on and so forth. And we realize, you know, I mean, I do that all the time. I, I'm going to the church. Well, I am the church. You are the church. We don't need a building to be the church. Amen? The truest sense, the church has really never been closed. It's just been different. Amen? We have been separated physically, but we've really never been separated spiritually. Amen? Oh, I like that. That'll preach. There is, however, a need that exists within the body of Christ, and that is the need to be together. It's what we call fellowship. It's what we call fellowship. Whenever we have fellowships, 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, and this is talking of this brand new church. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So here you have this brand new church, and what is it that they're doing? They're being caught all over the community, fellowshipping with one another. It is fun to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Amen? So here's this need, this need that the church has to be, to, to be together. There's this phrase that throughout the whole New Testament is used over and over and over, and that is one another. One another. It's used over 60 times in the New Testament. We need to love one another. We need to be kind to one another. We need to serve one another. But it's very hard to do all of those things whenever you're not with one another. Amen? See, in order to have the fellowship that I believe God has designed for us to have, we need full proximity to one another. I, I, I tell you this morning, I wanted to so badly shake some of y'all's hands, man. Give you a hug, you know? I mean, I seen Aaliyah come in with purple hair, and I'm just thinking, man, I want to touch that hair. I just want to touch it, you know? This, we need full proximity to one another. Technology is, is, is fine, but a video stream or FaceTime or Zoom, it's just not going to get it done. And that's okay temporarily, but we need proximity to one another. That's our goal. Listen to this. Harvard School of Public Health says this. People that attend religious services at least once a week were significantly less likely to die from deaths of despair, including deaths related to suicide, drug overdose, and alcohol poisoning. Isn't that curious? Goes on to say this later on. These results are specifically striking amidst the present COVID-19 pandemic. They are striking in part because clinicians are facing such extreme work demands and difficult conditions, and in part because many religious services have been suspended. The New Testament has an answer for all of this. It's called fellowship. Amen? One place in one accord, physically together, spiritually together, in unity. The second thing that we want to look at this morning is this. Not only were they together, but they were empowered. This is the promise that Jesus gave in the days just prior to the cross. Jesus wants us to be empowered. If we're going to be a church that's going to impact this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I promise you there's not enough brain power, muscle power, expertise, or talent in this building to do so. We must step outside of what we have and believe God to empower us with His Holy Spirit. Amen? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In Luke chapter 24, this is a promise that Jesus gave just right before He was crucified. Uh, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 49, it says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Woo. I want to tell you something about this early church. These folks had power. These folks had power. Are y'all with me? They had power. 
They had power to get it done. Just days after this whole thing took place, uh, Peter and John are walking to the temple for prayers, and they walk by a, a man who has been lame, sitting at the gate, beautiful, and says, Silver and gold, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto thee. Wise up and walk in the name of Jesus. And the guy got up dancing and leaping, a paralytic. Are you all there? They got something that they needed so desperately because there was no other way to grow the church outside of the power of Jesus Christ. This is a fulfillment of that promise. He says, hey, tarry in the city of Jerusalem because you're going to be endued with power. Acts Verse number two, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Next to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do you realize this is the most important thing that happened to the church? It's right here. This is it. This is it. It's the most important thing next to Jesus. He filled them with His Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon them, and they were endued with power. The birth of the church happened just one time. Now, what I've been talking about this morning, this church being uh, uh, birthed in the upper room, these 120 believers, it just happened one time. It's never going to repeat itself, but the infilling of believers with the power of the Holy Spirit, you see, that's not a one-time deal. You see, you and I, 2,000 years later, we can expect that same infilling. We can say, expect the same Spirit to come upon us and give us power. Amen? 2,000 years later, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That feel word there in the Greek basically means to continue feeling. feeling, Not just filled and I'm done, I'm over with, because see, I was filled with the Holy Spirit back in 1980, and if I would have, have never been refilled, I would be completely empty. Are you all there with me? It's a continual filling of the Spirit. It's every day being filled. And you ask yourself, well, why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if, if you are going to do spiritual work, you need spiritual power. you got to have spiritual power. I've always heard that the reason that you and I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit is because we leak. We leak. And if we don't leak, we ought to be giving out. And I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit as well. And the more you give out, the more you got to be filled with. Amen? So there's three different manifestations that happened, as we read just a moment ago. Three different things. There was an audible manifestation that took place, an audible sound of a mighty rushing wind. I don't think there was a wind. I just think there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And I think this sound was enormously loud because it brought people from all over Jerusalem to it. They said, man, what in the world is that sound? And they tracked that sound down, and they found themselves standing at the bottom of the stairs of the upper room. So God used sounds all through the Bible. If you want to read through, you're going to find He, he is a God that makes noise. Amen. Second thing, it was not audible. It was visible. Upon each one of these believers set a cloven tongue of fire. Literally, every one of them had something setting on top of their heads as of a, a tongue of fire. God uses fire a whole lot in the Bible as well. It's symbolism. 
And then lastly, there is an oral manifestation. They spoke with other tongues. And now, understand this. These tongues were known languages. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, look, are not these who speak Galileans? You see, they're really knocking the Galileans there. Because I guess somewhere in Galilee, they didn't have a school or something, and they just regarded them as a bunch of idiots. See, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's kind of the same kind of people that live on Skeena. I live on Skeena, okay, so don't get all mad here. You understand? I mean, they just thought that they were, thank you, Dalton, <laughs> you both, babe. <laughs> so so they, they, just, they just believed that these people, just there's no way they could have ever did what it is they're doing because they're uneducated. They don't, they don't know three or four different kinds of languages. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Literally, these people spoke to their hearers in his or her own dialect. It wasn't just a language. Because this is one of the things I've found out over the years. There's a lot of Spanish that's spoken in the United States of America, but there are many dialects within that language. Spanish is just so weird. Oh, never mind. How many of you all know English is the same way? <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, folks, I'll be very honest with you. You go anywhere from the south to the rest of the parts of the United States, and you will find out that southern words don't work real well up there. Amen? I mean, I can remember one time telling somebody I was going to mash that button, and they said, what are you talking about, mash that button? You're going to press the button. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to mash it. These people were speaking to their hearers in their own dialect, which is just supernatural. They were empowered. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you look a little bit further, I didn't read a whole lot of, uh, of this, but it, Peter, the Apostle Peter, this scared, failing Peter... This guy that just days before, he wouldn't even give a testimony of Jesus Christ whenever a little girl came up to him. I'm just really scared of her. She's got long fingernails. So I'm going to deny I know anything about Jesus. Are y'all here with me? I mean, Peter was, was, was miserably failing. And now Peter steps up and preaches a message that is, I mean, it's good. It's good. 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. So what in the world happened? What happened to Peter, the scared, failing, miserable, whiny little Peter? The Holy Spirit happened to him. That's what happened. All of a sudden, I listen, man, I used to do a children's church message, and I, I had gone out in the pasture and found an old dead cow, and I, I wound his spine back together with balin wire. And so I had this big vertebrae after vertebrae all wound together. And, and uh, in fact, Pastor Rick, I think you were the victim of this. He was helping me in children's church. And he came in and he said, man, I just I want to live for the Lord, but I, I just I seem to be failing. You had a pack of cigarettes rolled up in your sleeve. Do you remember that? And you said, I just, you know, I, I just struggle with all of these things and I, I want to live for the Lord, but I just don't, I don't, I don't have the, I just don't, I just don't have the guts to do it. And I said, man, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and what we did is we, we took out this rubber spine in a surgery. It was 
it's cool. You had to have been there. We had blood and everything. We took out this rubber spine and gave him a spine like the Holy Spirit gives you. It was a power. And he got up, and he was a different guy, man. I mean, he was ready to witness. He threw his cigarettes away. That's what the Holy Spirit did to Peter. It says in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, Jesus said this would happen. He said it would happen. He said, man, if you go tarry and you wait, this is, this is what's going to happen. In John chapter 7, Jesus does something that I really feel like I need to point out this morning. It is, uh, let, me, let me just read it. This is John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. So Jesus stands up and he just basically starts shouting. I mean, he's, he's, he's shouting. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I mean, man, so the whole crowd, they're focusing on Jesus. He's, anybody thirst, let him come to me and drink. So, I mean, man, right away people are looking, but what he says next is, is really what we got to pay attention to. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning what? The Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified rivers of living water. You see, that's what Peter and John were doing at the gate. Beautiful. They were pouring some living water out on this guy because his life, he wasn't living his life the way Jesus wanted him to be living his life. God never intended for anybody to be a paralytic. Amen? And so they're pouring living water out into this man's life. Rivers flowing from you because folks, I got to tell you, Christianity isn't just about us. It's not about us. It's about others. And so we need men and women and young people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and power because it's the only way it's ever going to happen in this church. It's not going to happen because we get real clever. It's not going to happen because we have the latest technology. It's not going to happen because of that. It's going to happen because we have a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit. And He infills us, infuses us, and we are endued with power. Hallelujah. I can almost preach that this morning. Let me give you a couple of things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. How many of y'all know before you ever get saved, the Holy Spirit's with you? He's there convicting you of sin. That's the reason I got born again, man. The Holy Spirit tapped on my shoulder and said, hey, babe, you've been doing some real bad things. You need to get right. Holy Spirit's with every human being. He's, he's with us. He's, he's with every single person on the, on the face of the earth. He's convicting them, and he, he comes after us to get us saved. Amen? Um, he's in us. Whenever you first get born again, you have access to the Holy Spirit in an unbelievable way because he comes into you and he sanctifies you. Then he comes upon you. So the day I got saved was a really awesome day in my life because I walked through all three of these things. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit the same night I got born again. He comes upon you to empower you, to endue you with power. He, you are baptized into Him. So not only was this brand new church together and they were empowered 
but this brand new church was really misunderstood. And they were and there were dwelling Jews and in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and they were sound occurred. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were amazed, marveled, saying, look at all those who speak. Uh, aren't they Galileans? And then you skip on down, and they ask, whatever could this mean? So they're trying to figure out what this is all about. They're trying to... All these people, these men and women that are standing outside the upper room, they're trying to figure out what's happening. You got these 120 people stepping out of the upper room and they are, they are praising God. And by the way, I would just tell you something. I think it was loud. I think these men and women were so overcome by this baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think their voices were raised, if you would. And so they're trying to figure it out. And here's another group of people. It says, others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Hey, these folks are drunk, man. They, are, they have been into the bubbly. You know, it amazes me during this pandemic that the government shut down all these things, but yet they allowed liquor stores to be open. I just, I, I'm not going to go any further than that. I was just amazed. These folks are drunk because what was going on there was so far out of the ordinary that the thing that they came to the conclusion of, they, they've got to be drunk. They've absolutely got to be off their rocker drunk. Folks, this morning I have to say this. The church of Jesus Christ is always going to be misunderstood by the world. Okay, let me go back and say something different than that. The church of Jesus Christ should always be misunderstood by the world. The day that we start fitting in and the world goes, I completely understand it, is the day the church better take evaluation of what it is they're doing. Amen. I mean, for heaven's sake, Jesus' own family thought he was a lunatic. The disciples, I mean, there were a lot of times I think the disciples were backing up and saying, man, are we following the right guy here? Because this guy kind of lunatic. He said that he's going to tear the temple down in three days, going to raise it back up. I mean, ooh, 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 ooh. the religious leaders of his time thought he was a nut. They literally thought he was a, was a nut job. And if you want to go into different company than Jesus, Paul was a guy that was always misunderstood. I mean, my goodness, he got stoned, he got flogged, he got beaten half to death a few times. He was misunderstood. And you see, if you and I are living like we should live, I will say that the world is going to misunderstand us. The world is not going to understand what's going on in our lives. Can I just say this? It takes a spiritual mindset to understand spiritual things. And the world does not have a spiritual mindset. So if the world understands you, you probably need to make a change. Just a curious question. How many of you enjoy looking stupid? Raise your hands. Yesterday, I was out in the yard, and I was cleaning my dryer vent, which is way longer than they ever made it, but it snakes, and I was cleaning it. I had a drill with this long stick and brush, and I'm just... It was working great. I mean, I was just having a great time cleaning out 400 pounds of dryer lint. And, and 
all of a sudden, I don't know exactly how I did it, but this long rod that's attached to the, the, the drill, it got wrapped up somehow and it jerked around and got my finger and the drill and I couldn't let go of the on button on the drill. And I'm like going, Oop, okay, okay. And I'm trying to pull my finger off with the other hand, finally got it done. And the very first thing that I did was I looked around to see if anybody had seen that. My dog is sitting on the sidewalk going, I'm ashamed sometimes to be your dog. I think we all have that kind of fear to look stupid. The world is going to think we're stupid if we live the way Jesus has called us to live. I'm just telling you, the world's going to look at you and go, man, you guys are crazy. I mean, you're crazy. I can remember a few weeks before we had this COVID thing and we shut down, there was a time where the Holy Spirit just began to move in the sanctuary here. And one of the things that I instructed us to do is, is we need to raise up a shout to the Lord. Does anybody remember that besides me? And I'll tell you something, man, you guys surprised me. I figured, man, y'all be at the, okay, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I mean, man, we had the musicians rattle up, and I mean, all of a sudden, you guys started shouting, and I mean, I, my hair was just being blown back. I thought, man, these people are shouting, but you got to understand, if somebody from the world would have came in here at that moment, they go, man, these people are nuts. I'm leaving. I'm going to a church where they don't do this kind of stuff. Are y'all there? The world's going to think we look stupid. A lot of people think what we're doing right now is coming back together, that we're stupid. They don't understand why we're reopening. There's a lot of friction out there right now. I'll tell you why we're reopening. Because we need to. That's what I feel in my spirit. I believe there's many of you in this room that feel that. I know that there are people today that are watching us live online and understand completely why you're home watching online. Completely understand that. And I totally support that. Because we've got this crazy virus that's running around out there, and there's people that are dying from it. But you have to understand, the church of Jesus Christ is going to look stupid to the world. Can I just ask you something as a born-again believer? Have you looked at the things of the world lately and go, man, that is so stupid? Are you all there? Okay, just wanted to know. Turnabout's fair play. Okay. So not only was the church together, and not only were they empowered, but they were misunderstood. And the fourth and final one is this. The early church was a scriptural church. They did it the way the Bible said. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. One translation says, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. I kind of like that. This is that. So all these people out there scratching their heads going, man, what in the world is going on? I'm hearing my own, my own language spoke by a bunch of crazy Judeans. I mean, what is, what's happening? What is this? And Peter steps up and he goes, okay, they were, they were asking what 
What is this? And Peter's saying, this is that. And what was he pointing to? He's pointing to the prophet Joel. Saying this that you're seeing right here is what the Scripture says. So in verses 17 through 21, Peter quotes the prophet Joel. In verses 25 through 28, he quotes the 16th Psalm, the words of David. In verses 34 and 35, he quotes Psalm 110. This is what is written there, and there, what is written there is what's happening here. Does that make sense? So the Scripture said it, and now it's actually happening here. You are seeing what the Scripture has been saying. The early church was biblically based. It says they went from house to house, and they got a hold of the apostles' doctrine. Are you all there? It was biblically based. Trinity Church must be biblically based. I don't care about your opinion. I think mine's important. <laughs> Come on. Cut me some slack here. But you realize that none of our opinions count whenever it comes to the Word of God. It must be done biblically. The early church was biblically based. Everything that you and I do as Trinity Church, everything that you and I do as individuals, as families, it must find its roots. It must find its beginnings in Scripture. If you want to live a biblical lifestyle, you've got to have a biblical foundation. The Scripture is the reason that we do all that we do. The Scripture has to be it. Every moment of our lives, the Scripture ought to dictate. Jesus was always pointing back at the Scripture. He was telling people why he did what he did, what he was doing. Listen to this. Jesus was always saying, it is written. Y'all remember that? Jesus had a good handle on the Scripture. He's, he's saying, it is written. It is written. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing of one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Jared, if you'll come this morning and help me close this. Folks, you know, as, as we kind of start, I just wanted to start on a good footing. I know that there's probably not one person in this room that you haven't heard each one of these things preached on at least once in your life. I mean, because this is really not anything that's new, amen? It's not anything that's new. But we just need to start on the right foot. We're, we're kind of getting a brand new shot at this. And I just want to make sure that we understand what it's going to take to do what I believe God has called this church to do. I turned 59 while this crazy pandemic's going on. 59. I am hanging on to my 50s by my fingernails. One of my sons told me, oh, Dad, just round off to 60. And I said, you are out of the will. You get nothing. I mean, think about it, people. 59 years old, whatever age you might be, I will tell you for sure that we have very little time left on this planet to do what God has called us to do. And sometimes I think it's 59, I'm kind of tired, but I believe what it says here in this word. 
Folks, we draw energy from one another. There is a dynamic in this body right now that cannot be replicated without this group being together. Just can't be. I preached right, right there. If you were wondering where we set up the cameras and stuff, it's right there against that wall. I was sick of that little spot right there. But without the dynamic of people here, the fellowship of believers with one another, we're just never going to be able to do it. If you and I understand what God is calling us to do, then we got to know that this early church did it right because they literally affected the known world of the known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ in just a very few years. You see, a, qu a question here, just a quick question. What do you think of the scriptures? Because that's really what I'm, this whole thing's about. It's about doing it biblically. Just happened to end with that last point. But what do you think of the scriptures? Your answer is probably going to denote your devotion to the scripture one way or the other. Uh, I don't really get into the Bible. I'll be honest with you. I have a real hard time understanding it. You know, I read it every once in a while, but folks, it's the wrong answer. I, I got to tell you something. I, I've heard people say that many times to me as a pastor. I don't understand the Bible. I've even had people tell me I'm not a real good reader, so I don't read the Bible. I want to tell you something. That's one of the biggest cop-outs you can possibly say because I live and serve a living God who can cause my understanding to be totally turned around where whenever I read it, I can understand it. You think any of these great theologians that have written all these commentaries understood it whenever they first read it? No, they didn't. They had God move upon their hearts and enlightened them to what these scriptures are speaking into the lives of men and women. People say, well, I, I have a hard time reading. I've always been a strong reader. I used to love to read, and I mean, well, I still love to read. There you go. But even if you don't, even if you're not a strong reader, God can make you that. I remember testimony many years ago of a man that literally could not read, and he opened up the Bible, and he began to read it. His name was Smith Wigglesworth. He was uneducated. He couldn't read whenever he first got born again. It's the only book he ever read in his life was the Bible. God just supernaturally just caused him to be able to read. I'm just saying, what do you think about the Scripture? What yeah, The Scripture should be so internalized in us, not only as individuals, but families, a church. The Scripture should be so internalized in us that it literally becomes our response to everything. Well, why'd you do that, Pastor? The Bible, the Bible told me to. I, you know, you're, oh, no, that's, that's getting crazy. No, that's getting like Jesus wants us to be. Something happens whenever the Bible comes out of us. It's just a power that I, I can't tell you, you need to experience it. This early church was biblical. They were biblical. And this morning, I encourage you to know the Bible, to know the Bible, to know the Bible, to know the Bible. But I encourage you even more to know its author.
because I believe he is beyond our wildest expectations whenever we get to know him. He amazes me every day. We are together again. And I have so enjoyed this time this morning. But as we move forward, we're going to be together in a greater capacity than we are this morning. These ropes will disappear off the pews and we can sit together in units that are not just family units. We're going to have our whole church body back with us. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Well, we're going to get empowered to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to this community and reach it. Reach it. To see men and women saved and men and women set free. Bondages broken off of lives and families healed and bodies healed and minds totally set free from the power of Satan. That's what we're going to see. We're going to realize that this community and people around us aren't going to understand it. Our own families aren't going to understand it. And we are going to remain scriptural. This is going to be a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Would you stand with me this morning? I guess the way I end this morning is this. As we move forward as a body of believers, as Trinity Church, I'm telling you, this is what you can expect. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Because we have a God that desperately wants it done. And he will empower us to do it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. And Father, it has been a good Sunday morning. I thank you for everyone that is here in person. I thank you for all of those that are watching online, Lord. Parts of our body, Father, that have come together this morning to worship you. But Father, this morning, I just pray a simple prayer. Lord, help us to do it right. Father, as we reopen the doors of this church and as we begin to move forward into this community, as you have called us to, Lord, help us to do it right. Help us to be like this early church. Help us to be a people that are empowered, Lord God. A people, Lord, that are so emphatic about the Word of God, Lord, that we wouldn't do anything that's outside of it. We put it in your hands, God. And we ask you for each person in this room, Father, I ask this, Lord, not only would they get to know the Bible better than they've ever known the Bible, but they would also get to know the author of this incredible book that you've given us. Because God, you are worth knowing. You are worth knowing. So Father, I speak a blessing over all this congregation. Whether they are in this building or they are outside, I speak a blessing to you in Jesus' name. Be blessed. Be blessed by the almighty hand of God. Amen and amen. God bless you folks. I am so glad we came together this morning. Amen.